Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. Before we get started today, we'd like to tell you about 2ProfitU.com, a ministry resource packed full of articles, quotes, book reviews, and commentary from Drs. Michael Catt and Warren Wiersbe. Sign up for free today at www.2ProfitU.com. That's the number 2, Profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, U.com. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Luke chapter 4, we're in the second of three messages on the temptations of Jesus. And I want to read, beginning with verse 5, about the second temptation. And he, being Satan, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for blessing us by helping us to understand how we're supposed to deal with temptation. And Lord, I thank you that you were the one who walked through that wilderness experience and were tempted in all points as we are, yet did not sin. And so, Lord God, I pray that on the behalf of the Son, in honor of the Word, and by the power of the Spirit, you would empower us and enlighten us so that we too can walk in victory. Lord, I pray for every person here that the temptations will not become sin, but that we can reject the temptations and recognize them when they come our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just to give you a little bit of review from last week, if you'll remember, in the first temptation, that moment came immediately following the baptism of Jesus. Here was the Son of God, God in flesh, dwelling among men, who had gone through the waters of baptism, identified with us, came forth, a dove descended, and a voice spoke from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Mark chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us that immediately the Spirit impelled him, thrust him into the wilderness. And there for 40 days he prayed and fasted. At the end of that 40 days, Satan came to him and tempted him. The first temptation had to do with using his divine powers to help himself personally. He appealed to Jesus. In verse 3 he said, If you are the Son of God, and that Greek word would better be if and since you are, since you are the Son of God, help yourself. Turn these stones into bread. He appealed to Jesus on the basis of deity. Jesus responded in verse 4 on the basis of humanity. Jesus said basically, No, I will not respond to you on the basis of deity because then my followers won't know what to do. I'm going to respond to you on the basis of my humanity empowered by the Spirit. And I will say to you, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, what we learn in these three temptations is that Satan only has three bullets in his gun. 
He's only got three ways that he attacks us. Now, he attacks in thousands of ways, but if you summarize those, they come up to three ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He attacks us in those areas because those are the areas he has consistently worked in to try to defeat us and to destroy our testimony. The same way that he attacks us, he attacked Christ. And the reason that this account is in the Scriptures, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is because the Word of God gives us instructions on how we are supposed to meet those attacks. You and I are always tempted. There's not a day, let alone an hour, that goes by that some temptation doesn't come our way. How should we respond to those? How should we react when Satan throws a temptation in our path? Well, the temptation before us is in round two of a three-round fight. In round two, Satan comes before him, and he appeals to the divine right of Jesus to have the kingdoms. Now, Jesus already had a divine right to the kingdoms of the world because the promise had already been given in Scripture. It would be fulfilled at a future date. And on the basis of him already having the kingdoms, Satan makes the appeal that he take the kingdoms now. We read verses 5 through 8, and Jesus responded and said, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Maybe Jesus was taken up to the mounts of Moab, and there he was allowed to see the caravans that crossed along the roads that symbolized all the kingdoms of the known world. It was impressive. It was magnificent to see not only the kingdoms, but all its glory. Here is an appeal to Jesus in the lust of the eyes, something that he would see that he could have, that Satan was offering him. He was offering the kingdoms and their glory. Now, here's what he was offering. He was offering to Jesus a political messiahship, that he could be the political messiah. It is what the Jews wanted. It is what the Jews expected. And what he was saying is, Jesus, why don't you accommodate your message to please the people and give them what they want? They want someone to lead them back to glory. They want someone to lead them back to the great days of the Davidic kingdom. They want someone to take them back to the times when things were wonderful. They're sick of the Roman government oppressing them. They're sick of the bondage and being treated like slaves. If you will become the political leader, you'll have all the kingdoms, all the armies, all the might, all the power that is available in this world. I will give it to you, and Israel can once again be a great nation. All you got to do is give the people what they want. And the way you can do that, Jesus, is you give me what I want. I want you to bow down and worship me. And if you'll do that, I will give you whatever it is that you see. Here's what he was saying. Why wait and go along in these three years and be a suffering servant when you could be the king right now. You can have it all today in this moment. I'm only offering you what the Father has already promised you. You can have it today. But you see, God had promised that Jesus would have the kingdoms because of his righteous obedience. Satan was saying, if you will be unrighteous and if you will disobey your Father, I'll give you what your Father promised you. But I'll give it to you now. You don't have to wait. Your dad's making you wait, but I'm not going to make you wait. I'll give it to you right now. You can have it 
You can see it, you can taste it, you can smell it, you want it, go for it. Now, you and I have to concede that this is a real temptation. And there are several reasons for that. One is, is the offer would not have been a temptation if it were not real. The Scripture tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, that he is the god of this world, and the whole world lies within the power of the evil one, 1 John 5 and 19. He had the power. The worlds were given to him. At the fall, he became the ruler of this present age. And so the offer was his to make. The offer was his to make because he is recognized as the head of the world system. The offer was his to make because it's consistent with the way he has always made his offers. In Genesis chapter 3, he made the offer to Eve, and she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David saw the woman bathing, and she was beautiful to him in appearance. Here was the lust of the eyes. You see it, Jesus? You want it? You deserve it. You ought to take it. It's yours. Just bow down and worship me. A real temptation. In fact, it is difficult for to us to imagine how real this temptation actually was to Jesus. For you see, he was the promised Messiah. He was the Son of God. There was a plan laid before the foundation of the earth that the Son of God would come and die on a cross and pay the price for man's sin. Here was a way to get around it. Now, how do we know that? Verses 5 and verse 6. Satan uses a phrase, in a moment of time. I will give it to you in a moment of time. That little word is the word stigma. Stigma, it means to prick or to pierce. He says, I will give it to you in a moment, in a prickling, in a moment. Just like you can prick your finger or stick your finger. It'll be that quick that I'll give it to you. By the way, it is the same word that is used in the crucifixion of Jesus when he is pierced and pricked and the crown of thorns is pressed down in his head. Then there's another phrase. He says in verse 6, it has been handed over to me. It's the same word that is used when it talks about Jesus being delivered up to be crucified. This is what Satan is promising. Jesus, you can have all the glory and not have to go to the cross. No stigma, no piercing, no nailing to the cross, no pain, no suffering, no being delivered up in the hands of evil men. You don't have to go through that. You can have all the glory and no pain. There's a shortcut, Jesus, and you can take it. Now, for God in flesh, 100% man, this was a temptation to not have to go to the cross, to not have to go through the pain, to not have to go through the suffering. And he says, Jesus, I'll give it to you. But you see, there's a price tag. Now, the devil was not asking him to abandon his mission. He was simply asking him to fulfill it in another way, to compromise to accomplish God's plan for his life, to shade it a little bit, to cut the corners. This was the lust of the eyes. It was living life on terms other than the ones that were supposed to be lived on. Now, this happens to us. Have you ever seen anything you really wanted and you just thought you had to have it? 
and Satan just you know, puts it there in front of you? You ever seen a car that you thought, man, I'd get a second job to drive a car like that? You ever seen a house that you thought, I'd quit tithing to buy a house like that? You ever seen a piece of land that you thought, I'd give up a lot if I could just buy that piece of land and retire on it. Well, I'd like to have that. I really want that. By the way, can I tell you from personal experience that new car smell ends on the 28th day? <laughs> That's the day your first payment is due. Quit smelling like a new car after that. It may clean up like one, but it doesn't smell like one that's not a new car. Uh, my friend Gary Miller always says, he says, you know, he says, I am married to a beautiful woman, and I love her with all my heart, but I tell you, if they ever make a woman's cologne that smells like new car, I am in serious trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the lust of the eyes. What is it that Jesus puts in puts in your life and allows to come in your life and Satan says, hey, you want that? Don't wait for God to provide it. Don't ask God to meet your need. Don't trust God for that. Don't go before God and see if that's really something you ought to have. Just get it for yourself. Just go for it. Just grab it. And you see what he'll do is he'll tell you, you don't have to deny your faith to get it. You do not have to do anything except just compromise. Just back off your commitment a little bit. Don't be so serious about your Christianity. Don't be so serious about your walk with God. Don't take the Christian life so serious. Just kind of back off. Be a little more laid back. Ease off a little bit. Just water down the faith a little bit. He's not saying throw away your faith because Satan's too smart to attack us to throw away our faith. We won't do that. But we will back off. I talked to a man this morning. He said, you know... He said, I just got to going after stuff. And all of a sudden, as I had to go on the weekends to do this, and I had to go on the weekends to do that, and I had to go pursue this, and, and I had to keep up with this, and I had to keep all this stuff going, and before you know it, I didn't have any time for God. I wasn't interested in pleasing God anymore. You know what happened? Lust of the eyes. I see it. I want it. Satan throws something in front of your face, and... You say, boy, I'd really like to have that. The devil says, y you really want that? You'd like to have that? <laughs> That's no problem. I've got the kingdoms of the world. I'll get you that. Just quit talking about Jesus. Because, see, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you're not going to be able to get that. Boy, I'd really like to have that, that over there. I, I, I'd, I'd really like to have this. And Oh, is that what you want? Man, I own the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. If that's all you want, that's no problem. Just get it my way. Don't get it God's way. You see, the lust of the eyes appeals to us to get something in a moment that we shouldn't be getting. And so he comes to us and he tempts us and he says, I will give you a place of honor. He says to Jesus, I will honor you and give you the honor if you will give me the honor. John MacArthur says we can get what we want. We can fulfill our lusts and fantasies. We can be somebody. That's the temptation of Satan. All we must do to get those things of the world is to go after them the way of the world. But you see, it's only for a moment. Satan says, I can give them to you 
in a moment, but it's only for a moment. Andy Warhol said that everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. How many people used to be famous? How many athletes do we have to see that used to have their face on the front page of the newspaper that can now walk through the streets of a city and nobody even know who they are before we realize that what Satan can give you is only for a moment? You say, oh yeah, well I know who the MVP of the Super Bowl was this past year. Sure do, Steve Young, okay. And who was it the five years before that? And by the way, since Steve Young is so famous and had his picture on the cover of every newspaper in America and many around the world, tell me exactly how many passes did he complete and how much yardage did he have in that game? Oh, fame is fleeting, isn't it? We forget very quickly. Tell me, who won the seventh game of the World Series any of the last five years? Some of us can't even remember who won the World Series. Some of us don't even care if there's baseball. <laughs> Who won Wimbledon? Who won the singles? Who won doubles? Who won men's? Who won women's? Who won the Indy 500 last year? Oh, we make such a big deal about it. The sportscasters come on and tell us, this is fame, this is power, this is popularity, and the world is saying, rise to the top. You can have your moment in the sun, but I'm going to tell you something. As quick as you get there, you'll start down. You are on your way down the minute you get to the top. And you've got to do more and you've got to be better because this world has an insatiable desire for new faces and new people and everything gets old of this world. And Satan says, you want it? I can give it to you because I'll just push somebody else off and I'll get you up and I'll have somebody pushing you off when you get there. If you don't believe it, work in the corporate world. If you don't believe it, try to play athletics on a college level or a professional level. If you don't believe it, read the newspaper. Name any member of the cabinet under the Reagan administration. Name the last four secretaries of defense. You don't know who they are. And yet every night they were on the news telling us what they were going to do. How are we going to? We can't even remember who those people are. Why? Because fame is fleeting. Power is fleeting. Prestige is fleeting. It's all enhanced with an image that doesn't fit the picture. Satan says, I'll give it to you. You can have it, and you will. He's a man of his word, and he'll give it to you for a moment. Is it worth it to you to get it for a moment and then for it to be gone? The lust of the eyes. Where do you and I fit in? Well, just fill in anything you want to fill in for the kingdoms of this world. Is it to own your own company? Is it to be a CEO? Is it to be financially independent? Is it to have a great retirement? Is it to be the most popular person on campus? Is it to get a date? Is it to get a husband? Is it to get a wife? Whatever it is, Satan says, oh, you want that? Hey, I'll bring that kind of person into your life. I got somebody lined up. They want the same thing you want. We'll get you together. I got somebody that'll help you in that. I've got somebody that'll make an investment to get you going that way. I've got somebody that I can tie you up with for a moment, and we get there and find out it's not all it's cracked up to be. He makes the offer. Someone said to Chuck Colson one time, why would anybody want to be the President of the United States? 
with all the headaches, with the criticism, with the pressure, with the threatened assassinations, why would anybody want to be president of the United States? And Colson answered it in one word. He said, power. That's why. Listen, friends, don't you believe for a minute anybody wants to be president of the United States to help America. They want to be president of the United States because it's power. You get to walk around, you have people around you, you're important. And you know one of the hardest things is? It's to be a peanut farmer in America's Georgia and realize you ain't got power anymore. That's tough. And to be offended because the president doesn't call you and ask you to use your power that you don't have. It's awfully tough when you bend to the top to find out that you ended up on the bottom. And Satan will give everybody their day in the sunshine because he knows that you're going to end up in the darkness. He'll give you what you want. You'll get it. You got a life goal outside of the Lord? He'll grant it to you. He'll make sure you get it. He'll arrange circumstances. He'll orchestrate the events of life so that you can get exactly what you want. And when you get it, you'll find out that you've been stigma, you've been pierced by a lie by the lust of the eyes. Satan has a plan. His plan is one of power. He says to Jesus, bow down before me. Worship me and I will give you all of this. Satan was created to worship God and yet he rebelled against God and so he's got a fourfold plan today. First of all, there is his master passion. Isaiah tells us it is to be like the Most High. He wants to be like God. He wants to have the power of God. He wants to have the influence. His master perversion is, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, you shall be like God. You can be just like me, like God. His main desire is that you worship before me. And his main motive is, in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. You know what he wants? He wants the power to demand your worship. We sang earlier, let us rejoice. He wants you to rejoice in His name. He wants you to praise His name. He wants you to thank Him for what He can do for you. He wants your worship. Jesus, I'll give it to you. Just bow down right here and kiss the ring, and I'll pat you on the head, and then you get up, and we'll take this world together. We don't need your Father. We don't need His plan. You don't need to suffer. Let's do this our way. Just worship me, and I'll give it to you. Do you understand that whatever you worship, you serve? Whatever you worship, you serve. You know what you do? You work for who or whatever you worship. Whatever you worship, you serve. You have to serve it. 
It demands allegiance. It demands authority. It demands loyalty in our lives. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Satan had forgotten that. He had rebelled against that. But the son said, nope, I'm going to do what I was created to do. I'm going to stick with the game plan. I'm not going to circumvent it. I'm going to stay before the Lord and worship him and serve him only. The scripture says the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. The book of Revelation, it says, and the seventh angel sounded and there arose loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. You see, Jesus knew I'll worship the Lord my God and I will serve him only because the kingdoms of the world are going to one day become my kingdoms. And I can wait for my time to get what God's told me I can get. Can you wait for God's time? Do you know how eaten up this society is with self-gratification and impulsiveness? I can't wait. I can't delay. We can't wait for that. We are a generation, my generation, we are a generation that want everything in the first five years of marriage. It took our parents 45 years to get. And we're up to debt in our eyebrows, and we make five times more money than our parents made and still have to call them and borrow money from them. Why? Because we won't wait. We've got to have it now. And we've got to have it bigger, and we've got to have it better, and we've got to have more, and we want it, and we consume it, and we will even sell our testimony to get it. We forget God. We forget God. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a danger when we are tempted to take a shortcut because we will seek to satisfy the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes and in the process, we will forget the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is warning the people, reminding them, and then warning them. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Verse 10, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, great and splendid cities, notice, which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then, watch verse 12, then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God. You shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. I know believers who have forgotten the Lord. They have forgotten it was the Lord who prospered them. They have forgotten it was the Lord who gave them the mind to make a living. They have forgotten that it was the Lord who gave them the ability and the talents. They have forgotten it was the Lord who blessed them with those things. 
and they've come and they've filled their houses and they've filled their lands and they've gotten their boats and they've gotten their homes and they've gotten all their stuff and they've accumulated all their wealth and they've attracted all these things into themselves and they have everything they want and they've forgotten God. But there was a day when they remembered God in their humble beginnings, they remembered God and they thanked God and they blessed God for the food and they blessed God for all His blessings and they blessed God when their children were born. But now, money buys everything they need. And now success and popularity and position and fame gets them what they want. And now a phone call or a fax or the ringing up of somebody who's got a little influence, that gets what they need. They don't need God anymore. They don't need prayer meeting they don't need to come back to church on Sunday night. They don't need to be trained in discipleship. They've got all they need. They're self-sufficient and self-satisfied. You better remember, watch, lest you forget, because our God is a jealous God. And the one who gave it to you can also see to it that you lose it. Have you forgotten the Lord? Have you so gotten caught up in the lust of your eyes and in the things that you want and the things that the devil promised you if you just compromise and back off and not be as committed and not be sold out to Christ and not be a fanatical person about Jesus Christ? If you just back off all those things, he would bless you and he would give you stuff. Have you bought that lie? Are you believing that lie? There are three decisions that you and I need to make today. Number one, we need to make a decision about our spiritual position. Romans chapter 6 says, How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Your spiritual position is that we're supposed to be dying daily to sin. Secondly, we make a decision about our spiritual aspirations. Our spiritual aspirations. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me ask you something. Is for you to live Christ or is for you to live to get ahead? Is for you to live to get a promotion? Is for you to live to get that job? Is for you to live to get married? Is for you, is for you to live to be successful, to be famous, to go to another level? What is it for you to live? Paul says, when you're where you're supposed to be, for me to live is Christ. All the money, all the prestige, all the power, all the things that you can get in this world, friends, cannot give you a good night's sleep. But for you to live is Christ can give you a peace that passes all understanding. And then we need to make a decision about our individual situations. Paul writing to the Romans again in verse 11 says, Even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, but alive to God. In Haiti, they are very poor people. And a Haitian pastor tells a story about the people in Haiti. There was a man who had a house he wanted to sell, and he wanted to go to a little larger house, and so he began to advertise that his house was for sale. A man approached him and said he would like to buy it. But he didn't have enough money, and he wanted to know if the man would come down on the price. And they bargained for several days. And finally the man said, I tell you, I will sell that house for half price, half my asking price, if you will allow me to still own that one small peg that sticks out over the front door. That's all I want. You can have the whole house for half the price 
if I can just have that one peg that sticks out over the front door. The guy thought, this is a great deal. I'll take this. This is wonderful. I mean, he's just got a nail. I've got the whole house. I've got all the rooms. I've got everything in it. I've got the yard. I've got the land. I've got everything. Just one peg. A few years later, the man decided he wanted to get that house back. So the original owner approached this man and he said, I'd like to buy my house back, and here's what I'll offer you for it. The man said, I don't want to sell it. My family's grown up here. We've become accustomed to this house. This, is, this has really become our home. My wife's decorated it, and, it, and it's, it's like we want it to be, and, and, and I don't want to sell it. And he refused to sell the house back to the original owner. So the original owner went out on the road and found a dead dog and took that dead dog and over that front door hung that carcass of that dead dog in the entrance of that house with the flies and the maggots and the decaying body the house became unlivable and the family had to move out they couldn't stay because of the disease and the sickness and the smell and the stench and the man got in touch with the original owner and said I'll sell you the house back why? He only had one peg. But you see, that's all the devil needs in your life to make your testimony stink. Just one peg. The devil will come to you and he will say, and go to church. Be a member of Sherwood. Sing in the choir. Play in the orchestra. Serve on a committee. Teach in Sunday school. Get at, come back on Sunday night. Man, I tell you what, you can even go to prayer meeting. In, in fact, you can, you can write cards to people who miss. Just give me one area. Just give me the place that you work. Let's not talk about Jesus there. Just give me your home. Let's not honor Jesus there. Just give me your thought life. Don't worry about what you think. Just give me your leisure time. Let me have some leisure time. And the day you give him a peg is the day that he hangs a carcass on the front of your life and says, you're going to stink. <laughs> you're going to be ineffective. You're going to blow it. You're not going to have a testimony. You're not going to have a witness because you saw something and you thought it was worth going for, but you forgot to take care of the peg, the one nail. Where's your peg? Where's that nail that Satan keeps coming and hanging his temptation on and swinging it in front of your face that you haven't resisted? And when are you going to be willing to say, Jesus, lock, stock, and barrel all the way, I'm yours. This world behind me, the cross before me, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.